book of Philippians. And I would just encourage you as we begin this series through this book um, that you begin to kind of read through it. It's a short book. It's four chapters. And uh, you can read it uh, in a relatively short amount of time. And uh, just to get familiar with it. So then we're, we're studying it in the coming weeks. You'll begin to uh, understand where we're going and, and uh, keep me on my toes. It's always good to do that. But as I said earlier, as we begin this study, uh, I think it's, it's going to be a, a neat experience for all of us because uh, the Lord definitely speaks to us through Paul's uh, letters in general, but specifically this book. And uh, so open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, and we just kind of want to introduce it a little bit. And uh, today I just want to read the first two verses. And... Uh, Paul writes there, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we approach this study, it's, it's really an epistle. If you look at commentaries, most of the commentaries are talking about joy because that's what the significant subject is in this little book that's, that's packed here in the back of our Bibles. Um, and I, I hope that we can uh, learn and grow as we go through this book together in the next couple months. It's just four brief chapters, but the theme, like I said, is, is joy. And uh, Paul mentions that word joy at least 16 times in these four chapters. Um, he also mentions Christ. 50 times. You wonder, how do I know that? Because I have a program on my computer that tells me. So <laughs> you used to have to go through and count or get a uh, lexicon or one of those. That uh, just technology is incredible. Uh, and that is because I think his joy is found in Christ. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, that's the way it always should be. Um, if you look around at the world around us, I don't think we'd have to look very long to say that it's kind of a sad world. It's a world that's familiar with despair and depression and depravity and unfulfillment and all sorts of things. Um, a lot of dissatisfaction, longing for things that never seem to come to pass. We drove down to Palo Alto, I think it was Friday night, and drove past the new dealership there, the Ferrari dealership in uh, Redwood City on our way down there. And they had El Camino blocked off. They had valet parking for those who would venture into this new. You know, that's one of the biggest Ferrari dealerships, I think, in the United States or in the West. I read that in the paper. I couldn't believe that. Is it in the world? Is that what it said? OK, yeah, in the world then, yeah. I, I read that, and I thought, wow. Um, but here were all these people that were parking the street. They had the police there stopping traffic, and you had to move over. And I thought, what's this about? Um, you know, I mean, and I looked at my wife, and then I looked at the, you know, the way I was dressed, not the way she was dressed. I thought, ah, we couldn't even venture in there tonight, you know, so just for the fun of it. Um, they probably wouldn't even let us in. But here are people that are, that are venturing for satisfaction and something that they can buy with their money. Um, 
And a lot of times, that's how people look at that. And uh, I think that it's a sad kind of reality when you, when you begin to really look at all the things that people are looking for satisfaction in. And, and then what happens is the long years of life, the older you get, um, seem to even bring up more sorrow in a lot of times. If you lose a, lo lost a, a, lose a loved one, and uh, you know, every holiday is a, is a tough holiday after that. Uh, and it seems like the moments of happiness are less and less frequent uh, when aging takes place. I read this statistic. The highest percentage of rate of suicide is among those who are over 65. At the length of years, and the decreasing moments of happiness bring about kind of a morbid sadness and lack of satisfaction with life. But we talk about happiness a lot, don't we? You know, everybody wants to be happy. Um, somebody wrote a song, you know, don't worry, be happy. That guy's sorry he ever wrote that song, I hear. He got sick of it after a while. And it didn't make him very happy. Maybe his checkbook, but nothing else. Um, well, let's define happiness, because if we're going to talk about it, we need to know that we're all on the same page. And somebody defined happiness this way. Happiness is an attitude of satisfaction. An attitude of satisfaction or delight based upon some present circumstance. Attitude or happiness is an attitude of satisfaction or delight based upon some present circumstance. That's important that we understand that. Because happiness is related to happenings. Happiness is related to happenstance. You've heard that word before. Happiness is related to hap, which is a word that basically gives off the idea of chance. It could happen, it could not happen, maybe not happen. Happiness is that which you really can't plan, you can't program. It may happen, it may not, but you know what? It, it's kind of elusive when you really try to pin it down. But it is related to delight or the satisfaction that's tied up in some kind of occasional uh, happening or, or circumstance. That's the best we can do. Um, on the other hand, when you talk about joy, it's a, it's a whole different ballgame. We're not talking about something that's related to chance at all when we talk about joy. We're talking about something that's a deep down confidence that all is well. We're going to sing that song at the end of the service, all is well with my soul. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the problem you may be facing, Joy says, you know what, there's still a confidence that all is well. It doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. That's the, the very different attitude than that of happiness. Now, if you understand joy in the biblical sense, maybe even in a theological sense, it must be understood that it comes from our relationship with Christ. You can't have joy if you don't have Christ. Uh, you might say that joy is, is something that every believer possesses. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, they possess joy. It's not some whimsical delight that comes and goes. 
It's something that we possess in Christ. And so when we're talking about joy, we're talking about something that's a lot different than happiness. Somebody defined it this way. Definition of joy is this. Joy is the flag that flies on the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. Joy is the flag that flies on the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. And I believe that only true Christians can know true and lasting joy. Um, that verb to, ver verb, to rejoice, appears 74 times in the New Testament, over and over again. The, the noun joy appears 59 times in the New Testament. And it's part of our Christian experience almost on a daily basis, or it should be. Now, before we even get into the, the verses that we read, we need to understand there is some biblical principles, and there's even someone called it a theology of joy. To understand joy from a biblical perspective, you might say. It's kind of a sentence that just keeps on going on and on. And so we'll start with the first phrase. You have the outline there, I think, in your, in your uh, folders. The first point about joy is that we need to understand that joy comes from God. It comes from God. It's a gift of God. In Psalm 4, 7 to 8, it says, Thou hast put gladness in my heart, for thou alone, O Lord, dost make me dwell in safety. So the Lord puts gladness or joy in our hearts. The psalmist says, You give me gladness, you give me joy, because my relationship of the security that I have in you is, is real. In Psalm 16, 11, the psalmist writes, in thy presence is what? The fullness of joy. In the presence of the Lord. God is the source of joy because joy comes from God. Joy is a gift from God. Well, let's add to that. Joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel. It's not a gift to everybody. It's to those who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You remember when they announced the birth of Christ. When the angels announced the birth of Christ, they said, Do not be afraid. You heard this in Christmas play after Christmas play. For behold, I bring you good news of great, what? Joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, the gospel that brings joy or that conveys, conveys joy is, is the gospel that brings uh, joy to the human heart. Joy is a gift of God to those who believe the gospel, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 15, 11, John writes, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. And so Christ was saying there that he wants his joy to be in us. Well, how can that happen? The only way that can happen is if we believe the gospel, if we come to Christ, the Savior and the, the forgiver of our sins. Christ came to proclaim a gospel that would give men joy. You know, today we have a lot of different gospels out there. And some of them are anything but joy-filled. I'm not saying you shouldn't relate to people. There's a reality of hell. There's a reality of sin. I'm not talking about positive thinking kind of stuff. But the message of the gospel is a positive message. 
It's a joy-filled message. I think because it's misunderstood so many times and it's even communicated wrongly so many times that most people think, well, I've become a follower of Jesus. That means I've got a list of things I can't do anymore, and that's, I don't want to do that. I want to be the captain of my own ship. I want to do my own thing. So joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel. What even goes on from there? Joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel being produced in them by the Holy Spirit. See, it's a gift of God to those who believe the gospel, but it's also produced not by ourselves. You can't wake up this morning and say, I'm going to be joyful today. I'm just going to be joyful. And you can say, I'm going to be happy. I have reasons to be happy. But joy is not related to our happenings. It's related to our relationship with the Lord. In Romans chapter 14, in verse 17, the Apostle Paul wrote, <clears throat> writes there that it's, it's, it's the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So you might want to say, well, how can I have a joy-filled Christian walk? How can I have a joy-filled life? Well, first of all, you have to be walking in the Spirit. You have to be filled with the Spirit. What do I mean? Not filled with the flesh. Every day we should wake up and say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. See, that's not to be confused with when we're baptized in Christ. When we come to Christ, when we repent of our sin, and we bow our knee before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, hey, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't have anywhere else to go. You have the good news of the gospel. I need to be saved. Forgive my sin, please. And you're before the Lord. Well, when he transforms your heart, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And at, at that same moment of your salvation, you're baptized, it says, into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's a one-time deal. We don't need to be praying, oh, Lord, you know, I need to be baptized again. Talking about the baptism of the Spirit. No, we're baptized into the body of Christ. To say that you would have to be baptized over and over and over again by the Holy Spirit would mean that you would have to be in and out of the body of Christ. And that's biblically impossible when you stop and you think about it. But being filled with the Spirit... That's a continual thing. Whenever this, the, the Bible in Ephesians and other places tells us that we should be filled with the Spirit, it means yield control over to the Holy Spirit on a continual basis. So that might mean, you know, one minute you're sinning, the next minute you're going, Lord, <laughs> thank you for, for your forgiveness and just confessing this sin to, me, to you. I want you to take control of my life again. Picture it this way. You're driving down the freeway. And your teenager's driving the car on the freeway. And you're in the back seat. All right? Yielding control of that vehicle to that teenager would probably be difficult. Yielding control of that vehicle to an adult may be difficult for some of us, me included. I like to drive when I'm in a car. I don't like to ride as a passenger. I just, you know, I just don't. And I understand why. We were, when we were driving down to Palo Alto Friday night, we were at a red light. The light turned green, and the car in front of me started to go, and I started to go. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes this kid on this bicycle trying to cross the crosswalk. I thought he was under my front tire. 
literally. I mean, before I saw him, he was, you know, and he pulled back quick enough. He wouldn't look at us because he was just a little embarrassed. But, you know, my wife really reacted, uh, overreacted, I would say, to the whole situation. <laughs> you know, I was like, well, yeah, he almost hit my car. I, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was barely, me. I probably would have bounced off. But, you know, uh, still, it was a serious situation. But, you know, I would not have liked to have been in my wife's seat that night, you know, when something like that happened. I don't like to be in, in the passenger seat of a vehicle. Uh, well, spiritually, we don't like to be in the pastor's seat of our own life, do we? We like to be in control. That's what the world teaches us. That's what we're, you know, we're, we're taught from when we're young, that, you know, you take control of your life and make it something, do all this stuff. And the thing that we need to begin to understand is when we become a Christian, it goes back to the other way. It's reversed. It's like, oh, you know what? I don't want control anymore. Lord, you take control of my life. Fill me with your spirit. And this joy that we're talking about is a joy that can only be produced by the Spirit of God. You can't manufacture it. Ephesians or Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And so joy is a gift from God to those who believe and it's being produced in them by the Holy Spirit. It brings to the heart righteousness, peace, joy, well, there's more even to it than that. True joy is a gift of God that comes to those who believe the gospel and is being produced in them by the Holy Spirit as the believer receives and obeys the word of God. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Thy words were found and I did eat them. Thy word was in me, the joy and rejoicing of my heart. See, when we receive and obey God's word, that creates joy in our lives. That continues that joy. Remember in the, uh, the road to Emmaus, the disciples were with Jesus. And uh, they said to themselves, did our hearts not burn within us? An expression of joy, excuse me, while he talked with us, giving us his word, teaching us himself out of the scriptures. That gave them joy when they were with the Lord. 1 John 1, 1.4 says, These things I write to you that your joy may be what? Full. See, it's not good enough just to have a little bit of joy. I mean, we live in a sick society. We live in a society that is just a mess. You're not going to be able to even survive out there with just a little bit of happiness. You're going to need the joy of the Lord in your heart and in your life. And that truly comes from receiving and obeying the Word of God. That's why sometimes it's, it's, it's when you're dealing with people and you're talking with them and they have problems and you're, you know, I always want to cut right to the chase. You know, I mean, great. Tell me the problems. I want to hear them. But let's not focus on the problems. Let's focus on God's Word and what He desires you to do in this situation. And if you do the right thing, the problem's going to take care of itself. You say, well, that sounds simple. Well, yeah, it is. That's probably why I'm not a counselor. But I, I, think that, I think that's good advice. I think sometimes we get so caught up and so focused on the happenings in our life is our circumstances become overwhelming. And pretty soon we feel like we're under this cloud, like, you know, the Charlie Brown, you know, the little guy that ran around with the cloud everywhere he went. Well, that's not the case. We're 
in Christ, our sins are forgiven. We're a new cre creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, the Bible says. Behold, all things are new. Now think if you went home today, and while you were away, they did one of those, uh, what's that show called? Makeover on your house. I mean, you went home, and, you know, just the time that you, I mean, you know, they, they can do this stuff pretty quick. You've seen some of those shows. Uh, and it, you just had a splendid place, just incredible. Finest fixtures, everything. You know, that circumstance in your life would probably give you some happiness. It would probably give you some, maybe even a, a tinge of joy if you dropped your knees and thanked the Lord for it. You know what? If you woke up the next morning, went to work, and came home that afternoon, and the house was burned down, there was nothing there. And it was even worse than before when you had your little house there all by yourself, and you thought, man, you know, they wired this thing wrong, they burned the whole house down. Well, then you'd be in a worse state than you were to begin with. And all of a sudden, would you still have that, that happiness? Probably not. Because you'd be talking to insurance people, and you'd be trying to figure out where you're going to live for the next couple months to get another house built, all this stuff. And those circumstances would take away that happiness. But you know what? If you have a joy in the Lord, you could stop and you could say, God, I don't understand this at all, but somehow you're going to get me through this. And I'm not going to falter. I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to, you know, uh, just fall away because you hold me in your hand and you've given me a joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding. I think that's important thing for us to understand in the world in which we live in today. Well, the fifth thing there is true joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel being produced in them by the Holy Spirit as they believe and receive the word, or you might say receive and apply it, and it is mixed with trials. You say, well, why do you have to put that in there? <laughs> you know, you never really experience the true reality of joy. I think, unless you have something to contrast it with. Can you imagine if you were just constantly in a state of joy? You had no problems ever in your life? After a while, you would think, well, this is just normal. There's nothing special about this joy. Nothing ever goes wrong in my life. See, in a very real sense, we know our joy is, is true. It's real because of the contrast in life. The contrast of sadness, the contrast of sorrow, the contrast of difficulty. All those things contrast the joy that the Lord gives us. And so when we look at our everyday circumstances in life and we say, man, this was a tough day. We can lay our head on the pillow as a believer at night and say, you know what? I still have the Lord. They can take everything away from me, but I still got the Lord. Nobody can take that away. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 says, you have also become imitators of us and of the Lord, and listen to this, it says, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1.6. Don't ever fall into the trap to, to, uh, of, the, of the easy believism crowd. You know, we just come to Jesus and he'll meet your felt needs and whatever you want, he's got it. And, you know, oh, it's, it's just a cakewalk. It's fun, you know, go to church and all this stuff. And it's just, boy, you know, your pocketbook fills up and, you know, you don't have any more bills and your health problems go away. And, you know, just come to Jesus. That's, that's a lie. Jesus said just the opposite. You're going to follow me. You're going to be in for some real trials. 
You're going to have a difficult life as a believer in this world. The Holy Spirit, the tribulation, the word, and the joy is all summed up in that one verse. 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You know, as hard as it is sometimes to see a loved one go to be with the Lord, you know the Lord, there's still a joy in that. As difficult as it is in those times of separation, in those quiet, lonely nights, difficult as that is, there's still, if you know the Lord, there's still a joy in your life, in your heart. And that's the true joy that we're talking about this morning. We just got done with the book of James, James 1-2, you remember that? Consider it all what? Joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Not just little itty-bitty trials, trials of all kinds. It's like they're just hitting you from every angle. You don't know which ends up anymore. But you know what? Consider it joy. Because God has a purpose and a plan for that in your life. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, when we went through that study, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. See, sometimes we need to step back and say, in light of eternity, really, what is this? In light of eternity, in light of spending eternity in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, can I put up with whatever this world has to dish out? It's just a vapor. It's just a breath. It's just it's something that's here and gone just that quick. True joy is a gift from God. God, to those who believe the gospel being produced in them by the Holy Spirit, as they receive and obey the scripture, being mixed with various trials. And there's one final thing. Give us a complete understanding of the biblical sense of joy. True joy is a gift of God to those who believe the gospel being produced in them by the Holy Spirit, as they receive and obey the word mixed with trials, and set their hope on future glory. Don't set your hope on the glory we have here. Set your hope on the future glory, because we don't have a lot of glory here. In Romans chapter 12, we see pretty clearly where our focus Should be. Look at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, give preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing what? In hope. Patient in tribulation. Continually steadfast. Con continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your uh, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 
if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How can he say that? Because he's got his hope set on glory. He's not, his hope isn't in the, in the everyday life that we live out here on earth. Paul's looking for something greater. We need to set our hope on future glory. 1 Peter 4.13 says, To the degree that you are share of the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that the revelation of his glory, you may exalt, you may rejoice with exaltation. We need to look forward to that, to the coming of the Lord. We should expect his coming. We should be eager in anticipation of that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you watch a movie the first time, you don't know what the ending is going to be. But if you watch it for the fifth time, I mean, it's still a good movie maybe, but you know what? You know how it, you know how it works out. So you're not on the edge of your couch anymore, or, you know, you're going to, eh, give me a Coke, you know, or whatever, you know, you're not even paying attention, because you know what's going to happen, even though it's, it's really maybe a, a good movie. See, we know the, the, the end here, folks. We understand what happens in the end. We're on the right side as believers. We win. That's something to be joyful about. That's why in Jude 24, he can write, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. See, that's the believer's joy. It's not something we produce. It's something God produces in us. It's something that he's able to do. We're not able to do it. It's kind of like the folks who think they've got to save themselves. Somehow they, they have a, a list of things. If they do these things, then they'll be saved. Salvation is, is a gift from God. It's God transforming the human heart, a heart of rock into flesh, a heart of disobedience into one that's obedient to his word. So joy is a gift of God to those who believe the gospel being produced in them by the Holy Spirit. They receive and obey the scripture being mixed with trials, and yet they still set their hope and their heart on the future glory. Peter sums up the whole thing about joy in 1 Peter 1.8. 1 Peter 1.8, he says, And though you have not seen him, that is Christ, you love him, he says. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. In other words, it's kind of like he's saying, you know what? Even though you don't see Christ, your hope is in the glory that you will. And that gives you a joy that's totally, you can't even define it. He has a hard time looking for words. He says it's inexpressible. Joy is something that's in our heart. And you remember that Peter there is writing to persecuted Christians. But they rejoiced with a joy inexpressible because their joy is a gift of God that was produced by the Spirit of God.
because they responded to the word of God. And they handled their trials and their tribulations as from the hand of God. And there they could look forward to their glory with God eventually. And that's the theme of, of the book of Philippians, joy. This little epistle of joy. Paul is writing it to the, the, the Philippians and he's writing it to them because he, he really loves them. And that comes out when you begin to read through the book. It seems the love bond between Paul and the Philippians exceed the, the love bond between him and any other church almost. You just kind of read it through the, if you read in between the lines there, you can sense it. Now remember, he's a prisoner when he's writing this book, so it's not like he's sitting high and mighty on the castle and, you know, what's he have to worry about? He's in a jail cell. He's in prison for his faith. And he's basically writing this book of joy, not for his own comfort. He's writing this book of joy because he's concerned about their sorrow, because they were looking at his circumstances, and they were saying, man, Paul, we really feel bad. He was concerned about their sorrow, that they saw him in prison as a servant of the Lord, somebody that they loved. And their hearts were broken, and he, he wanted to encourage them. He was concerned about their unity. As a, as a people. He was concerned about their faithfulness to the Lord. He was concerned about a lot of other things that are going to come out in this small little letter. I think one of the... One viewpoint, I think, of Paul was that he was concerned for these people who loved him so much and they were sad because he was put in prison. That they were sad because of his circumstances. Uh, they were sad because of his, the, just his inability to just have freedom. He wasn't able to do what God had called him to do. They were probably even anticipating the loss of his life. And that probably gave them great sadness. And so he writes to them, and in fact, about bottom line, he says, Look, I rejoice. So don't you do anything less. I'm the one in these circumstances, and I have the joy of the Lord, and I'm willing to say, hey, whatever comes, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I understand you care for me, and you love me, and all those things, but you know what? Let's keep our focus on the Lord and that joy. Next week, we'll look at this couple verses in more detail that we looked at today, the, the salutation. And if you read through that, there's... Three things that you can notice there in the first two verses. Just for your own study this week, look at the servants, who he's talking about there. Who are these servants? And then he mentions the saints. And then he gives the salutation. We'll be looking at that next week. But I pray that as you close out, you begin this next week, actually, that you begin it with the right understanding of joy. And that God wants us to be a joyful people. That doesn't mean we're just happy-go-lucky and, you know, nothing bothers us. But joy, once again, is not based on our circumstances. It's based on our walk and our relationship with the Lord. So we want to be focused on that this next week. Father, let's, uh, let's just pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we ask you, Lord, that you would just uh, minister to our hearts this morning. Lord, I ask that um, 
above all else, Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't understand that joy, has not come to you personally and asked you to forgive their sin, Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you even now. Lord, in their heart, that they would simply understand that they're standing before a holy God and there's nothing in and of themselves that can save them. They need the grace and the love of Christ in their life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that you would give them the words to confess their sin to you, to ask you to forgive their sin, to make them a new person in Christ. Lord, we do pray that. Father, we pray for those believers who are here this morning. Lord, I pray that these circumstances that we get caught up in every week, every day, Lord, would not steal that joy. Lord, that it wouldn't overcome that joy. But, Father, we would keep our hearts and our minds focused on you. And the joy of our salvation is in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be contagious. Lord, that people would look at our lives, and even in the midst of trials, see that there's a deep-seated joy because of our security in Christ. And Father, that they would inquire and they would desire to know more about you. Go before us this week. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.